When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Dan, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We got a two-parter for you today. It's going to start with Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, and I talking linebackers. We look at the Browns linebacker situation, how it performed this year, and then moving forward into 2022. Then, in the second half of the podcast, Mary Kay Cabot is in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, and she's going to check in and tell us everything she saw and heard on Tuesday at the Senior Bowl. So that's coming up in the second half of the podcast. And of course, you got to become a Football Insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page of daily newsletter, access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns, and you can get texts from us. We text you info, analysis, all sorts of stuff. You just got to become a Football Insider subscriber. Again, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. All right, here we go. Our Wednesday Orange or Brown Talk podcast. Kicking off our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast, we are going to talk linebackers today as we continue to go through the Browns roster. Uh, Scott, a position that this time a year ago we weren't sure how much the Browns really valued it, but Andrew Barry did really kind of funnel some resources into this position last offseason. Yeah, I think he he mentioned how people were probably having a fever dream when he traded up to draft a linebacker in Coromora. I yeah, that was a surprise. And then you come back again a few rounds later and you get Tony Fields. Um, it's weird. It's the second time in, what, three years they drafted two linebackers in the same draft. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's good or, or, or bad if you're doing it again, but they did. And, I mean, I think they had to address the fact that they used so many linebackers in 2020. They, I, at one point, I kind of went back and looked at snap counts, and I think the Eagles were the only team that had more linebackers with, like, over 350 snaps than the Browns. The Browns had four guys, and then their fifth guy was, like, I think well over 200 snaps. I believe that was Jacob Phillips in his rookie year. So um, there was just a lot of guys rotating in and out situationally, and I think the goal there is, you know, to get those guys who can play, at least one guy who can play three downs, preferably a couple who can be out there and dominate the snaps at linebacker. And uh, they might've accomplished that with drafting JOK. Yeah. So let's talk about Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Ashley, of course, you wrote that big feature on him uh, towards the end of the season. What is the next step, I guess, or what's the evolution of JOK here for this football team as we head into 2022, because he played a lot of snaps. He became a starter pretty quickly this season so, but, but there's still like a lot of untapped potential there too, I think. 
Yeah. And, you know, what's so interesting for me when you look at the numbers with him is how poor his his tackling grade ultimately was for this season with PFF. And I know he like talked about that and just having more attention to detail with that going forward. But for me, I think, and for, for context, his tackling grade for the season, I have the PFF grades pulled up here was 43.8. So um, obviously not, not too great there. But I think the conversation around like what his ceiling is or where he can improve, like it almost reminds me of the conversation we had earlier in the pod that dropped earlier this week on Miles Garrett and how we talked about how Miles hasn't really had a full season yet um, where he's been able to be out there fully healthy or obviously the year he got the suspension um, so that we still think there's room to improve. And obviously JOK is only coming off his rookie year, so he's younger. But you think about all the time he missed, obviously dealing with that ankle injury in like the middle of the season, uh, even in the off season, he didn't have a full off season with landing on the COVID list, that weightlifting accident, some other like nagging things that he was dealing with. So I really just think it's so impressive to me how he was able to kind of take those leaps as a rookie. And we obviously heard Joe Woods talk about that a lot. A lot of it has to do with the work he does on the mental side of the game. But I think just overall, just getting more reps, like there's there's so much, I think, to be excited about with him. Because if we're looking at him just overall spending more time on the field, like I don't even know that we have an idea of what this guy's ceiling could be for his career, quite honestly. Yeah, Scott, I mean, what, what do you think JOK looks like next year as compared to this year? Uh, I think more, just more. I mean, he was, I think he was, he was top five in PFF grade among linebackers through the first half of the season. And then he kind of hit the, you know, <clears throat> the injury window. Um, but I, I did, I've been doing this bright spots series, like despite the disappointing season, there were some good things about the Browns season and two of those directly tied to linebackers. One is blitzing their blitz rate. They, they got pressure as good as anybody when they blitz. The other one was covering tight ends and JOK was a big part of both of those. He led the Browns in blitz and blitzes. Uh, and then he, he did really well. Uh, he led them in just coverage of tight ends. So two areas that the Browns had issues with, he comes in and just changes that right away. So I think you got to be happy about those two going forward because getting pressure on the quarterback is something this team struggled with. And obviously tight ends has just been a thorn in their side for so many years. And now they finally have a guy who seems like he can handle that. So I, I think just kind of building off that and just having more, I think maybe getting him more disruptive when he does rush the passer. I think he had a one and a half sacks uh, on 38 blitzes um, and maybe five, four or five pressures. Um, so more pressure, obviously just more disruption that way, but you, know, you just have him out there. He's, he's the guy who's your three down linebacker. You're every down linebacker. He's not somebody you have to kind of ease into things next year. He's going to start day one as the guy who's out there all the time. And they just got to figure out who's going to be next to him. Were either of you surprised how quickly he kind of became that guy for this team? I, I mean, I thought it might take a little bit of time, but like I said, I mean, he was the starter, I mean, by week two, honestly, he, he was starting and then, you know, he dealt with some stuff that, that kept him out of the lineup, but it happened fast with him. And, and that kind of caught me off guard. Honestly, I, I thought it might take you know, like a month or, or a little while for him to kind of play his way into that kind of role. I was surprised and it just kind of goes along with what I was talking about before, just with the missed time and with rookies, especially, I mean, when you have 
your off season kind of so truncated by injuries or, or other things like he did with landing on the COVID list too. It, it just is like, okay, but like how much is that going to limit their, their development in that first year when everything is so new to them? So I think that aspect of it was surprising to me, but then like kind of, I guess, like the more we heard from, from him and, and people around him about the things he was doing like mentally to still stay involved, I guess it got like less surprising for me, but still, I mean, the fact that he missed as much time as he did and was still so impactful, I think is really, really, really impressive. And I mean, I wrote that story a few weeks ago, looking at his season compared to Micah Parsons. And obviously, you know, he's the shoe in for defensive rookie of the year. Um, and we've known that for quite some time, but I just think overall, like if JOK had had that full time, like he might've been in that conversation a little bit more. Now, Micah Parsons obviously had a fantastic year and probably would still like edge him out there, but I just think he would have potentially been in the conversation a lot more. Some of that had to do with Anthony Walker getting hurt too. He got, uh, he was out for weeks two through four and Jacob Phillips was not back yet. So they had to move Malcolm Smith to middle linebacker, um, which kind of opened up that other spot. And it was kind of surprising that JOK kind of jumped past Mac Wilson. Um, remember Mac Wilson really for the second year in a row was out there getting first team reps in training camp, uh, next to the middle linebacker. So he, you know, him and Taki Taki were flanking whoever it was, whether it was Goodson or Walker, it was those two guys. And then when the season begins, it's not the case. So uh, I think, but Walker's injury, like I said, had something to do with that, but it turned out to work, work out really well because Smith played really well when he was that brief uh, span there when he was a starter. And then it just got JOK jump started and, and on his way. All right, so Scott, you mentioned one of the guys I wanted to, to talk about, and that's Anthony Walker, a uh, guy they brought in. They, they've sort of cobbled together that middle linebacker position the, the first two years under this regime. It was B.J. Goodson, and then they brought in Anthony Walker. And I think this is interesting this year because, you know, we've seen them sort of train Jacob Phillips to be that next guy up at Mike Linebacker. And on top of that, after Anthony Walker got hurt, they gave the green sticker to John Johnson. And he never gave it back. Anthony Walker's snap count. I don't know how often he played every single snap. I know there were some games where it was high, but I don't know if he ever played 100% of the snaps again on defense. I, I just wonder if having John Johnson as the green sticker guy, if they can continue that, if that changes their approach at middle linebacker. Do you think they need to bring back Scott Anthony Walker in that role? Could it be Jacob Phillips? Looking through free agency, I didn't see a ton of guys that were like, oh, you go, go go get that guy and he could be your middle linebacker for a year. There aren't as many options out there, I don't think, for them. I mean, Jacob Phillips played four games. So I think <laughs> you're still in this area where you're probably not sure exactly what you have or how big of a jump he might make. Uh, but yeah, it's clear. It seems like he's the guy that everybody's keeping the seat warm for. Uh, and ideally, you have your, you know, your draft pick move into that spot. Um, I mean, if they bring back Anthony Walker, it's a good signing. He played well. And I'm just looking at snap counts here. And he was, I mean, he was in between like 70 and 70, 80 for the rest of the season once he got back. And he did have a handful of hundred snap games. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't know if they can really say with confidence if they know what they got with Jacob Phillips. I, they, they liked him enough in the preseason to have him step in uh, the last couple of years and, and kind of assume that role. So that's why we think that he's 
destined for that in a way. Um, if it's not Anthony Walker, it kind of has to be Jacob Phillips if they're not going to sign somebody because the rest of this roster does not really, I mean, Elijah Lee, who, you know, has been kind of back and forth between the practice squad and the, and the active roster. Um, Tony Fields is really more of a middle linebacker if you go by what he did in college. Uh, but clearly he, I mean, he played zero snaps on defense. So yeah, I think if they just want to bite the bullet and say, Hey, we're going to give this to Jacob Phillips and see if he sinks or swims. Uh, he seems to be next man up. I was going to say, you know, it seems like from everything we've talked about and seen that I, I agree with Scott, like it, it's trending in the Jacob Phillips direction. Now, whether or not that happens next year, who's to say, because I mean, he, you talk about small sample sizes. He's only played in 13 games in his career between the last two seasons. And um, just to give people an idea in terms of like overall defensive snap counts on this team from PFF, like Anthony Walker had the fourth most snap counts on this team behind John Johnson, behind Miles Garrett, behind Denzel Ward. Um, and, you know, he had 701 snaps, total snaps, and that was in 13 games. So obviously, I mean, I think he, he made a big impression in this defense and I know we talked about him losing the the green sticker there when he went out, but that's um, don't want to get too much into that again. But I just think it's would definitely be kind of a gamble to go all in on Jacob Phillips immediately because he missed so much time with that injury this year. Um, that if you want to develop him a little more, then maybe you might want to consider bringing somebody else in or bringing Anthony Walker back in in terms of that middle linebacker spot. We spent a lot of time on the green sticker during training camp that was a a big topic of conversation listen it's hot we're tired there's you know we gotta find things to talk about during training camp okay (laughs) we can't talk about the third wide receiver every day we gotta shake it up a little (laughs) bit with a green sticker we should do one green sticker post a week this training camp i like it i'm in (laughs) it can be my series i'll take i'll take that one (laughs) okay Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki. Scott, you mentioned Mac. Uh, he was getting some first-team reps during training camp. He ended up being more of a special teams guy. Takitaki did get some real defensive playing time during the season. Are both of those guys back this year, do you think? I think Takitaki's definitely back. He's your, your best strong side linebacker. Um, and he's, he's gotten better every year. Uh, and even in coverage, which was the one thing I think people wanted to uh, – keep him away from, I mean, teams pass more than ever now. And if you're out there on first down, you're likely going to see a pass and he's done well. Um, I think he was like top 13 or something in, I didn't have it in front of me in PFF grading uh, 2020 as a linebacker. So I think he's a definite Wilson is just a big surprise. I, you know, he ended last season. Um, it was, I mean, it was a rough 2020 for him. And then, with the injury they I don't think he ever really like he admitted in training camp he never really got past that he wasn't able to do the things he wanted to do but then he had that great performance even though it was like 12 snaps <laughs> against the Chiefs and even the coaching staff mentioned how he was in a great place and uh it was really something to build off you know for coming into this season and then he's out there first team reps in training camp and I'm thinking all right I guess it's it's Mac Wilson's time and JOK has to get past him to, to take that role. And then it just didn't happen. Mac Wilson was kind of MIA for much of the season and really became more of a special teams guy. The thing is, even though he played the fewest snaps of his career, he probably had the best performance of his career. If he's going by PFF grading, uh, 
his overall defensive grade was 75.3. It was seventh on the team. He was actually 70 or above against the run and in coverage. So it was a solid and consistent performance when he was on the field. He just wasn't out there a lot. I mean, he's not making much. He's in the final year of his rookie contract. So you pretty, you're probably bringing him back and you're having him go through camp and you're just kind of seeing where you're at. I, I don't see him being a, a cut at any point before camp starts, but it is, I like his career and Taki Taki's career just like passed in the night, you know, <laughs> Taki Taki's rising and, and Wilson was the starter as a rookie. And he's just kind of, it's just been going backwards since then. Um, like I said, he played well. It's just the opportunities have gone the other way. Yeah. I mean, I came on the speed in what week eight of the season, that Steelers game. And it's like, I forgot about Mac Wilson so much because we just like, weren't talking about him. I mean, he just wasn't out there with the, with the linebackers. Um, and Scott, I pulled up the PFF number as well, while you were talking to look at Taki Takis. Um, he ended with a 73.4 coverage grade this year. And then in 2019, it, that was grade was a 47.2. And in 2020, it was a 44.4. Um, so obviously a pretty big improvement there. And then among all linebackers, um, that ranked him 18th with that coverage grade. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think when we talked about our, did that big free agency pod, I think we kind of landed on this, that of the two of them, I think Taki Taki is more likely to be back that for whatever reason, the opportunities have gone with him. They seem more upside with him at this point and uh mac wilson essentially was relegated to special teams for a huge chunk of this year yeah it feels like that's probably going to be his path to to get on the roster is to you know come in like like says there's no reason to move on from him right now bring him into camp see see what he can do but it seems like special teams might kind of be his path onto this roster and then he does have that ability to play defense if, if they need him to do that and, and add depth over there I mentioned this, there aren't a lot of free agents necessarily uh, uh, available. And a lot of them are off-ball guys, at least when you look at PFF, PFF's top free agents. So I guess, you know, let's not really spend time on that. When we think about how this team has approached the draft at linebacker, uh, a, a name that kind of stood out to me, and I don't know all the linebacker names. I've, I've mentioned this before. Like, believe me, I haven't sat here and studied third and fourth round linebackers, but I guess the guys I'm going to look at as, as we kind of go through this process um, is, is a guy that PFF ranks 82nd on their big board is uh, Channing Tyndall from Georgia. And the reason I like him is big school athletic. He was third on Georgia in tackles this year. Reminds me a little bit of, of what the Browns sought in Jacob Phillips. Again, big school background, led LSU in tackles this last year there. I think he was second in tackles the year before that. It seems to me like if the Browns are going to draft a linebacker, it's, you know, and, and they're not going to be able to get a JOK type. It, it's going to be a guy who sort of has, has a high level of production, comes from a big school, and still has pretty good athletic traits. Is, is that fair? Do you guys think if, if we're looking at third and fourth round linebackers for this team? Well, if you look at last season, they went with fast, undersized, fast guys. That's what JOK and Fields both were. Um, the difference between them is JOK can cover and has succeeded as a coverage linebacker and fields really, that wasn't his role. And he really didn't, he didn't do much of it at all. He was hardly in the slot. Uh, he was basically a middle linebacker going sideline to sideline. Um, so I think getting guys who have speed and, and maybe they feel they can get fields to that point where he can have an impact in coverage, um, 
but I think athleticism, yeah, speed, maybe not so much the big um, fill the you know middle gaps of the line kind of linebacker. It's it's somebody who has to get to the sidelines. We've seen teams hurt the Browns uh, with that area over the last couple of seasons when they haven't had guys like JOK on the field. You know, two years ago especially. Um, it was getting the ball into the flats and making those linebackers have to cover a lot of ground. And the Browns seem to address that with uh, how they drafted linebackers last season. Yeah, I just think when we talked about this regime and the way they approach the draft, it's like as the later, as they get later into the draft, they're more willing to gamble on traits, it seems like. And I know like the prime example of that is a guy like, obviously not the same position, but Donovan Peoples-Jones and taking him in the sixth round, despite some production questions or other physical questions, you still look at their traits and say, okay, how can we develop this guy? So I do think that is important to them to some extent. Now, obviously you're not going to be able to get a JOK every draft here. um, And you're not going to always be successful with that, but I think that might be how they approach it in terms of if they're going to look to take a guy later, that those traits might be uh, more valuable to them than some other teams. Scott, you mentioned this guy, and, and I do want to talk about him um, a little bit. This is probably the most we've talked about him since the night he got drafted. But look, Tony Fields is on this roster. He played some special teams. Like you said, didn't get any defensive snaps. But we know the approach this team takes with draft picks. They're, they're not going to just give up on a guy, especially a guy that they, you know, a little bit in the mold of the JOK, the, line, uh, the type of linebacker they like. So you know, people might want to write off Tony Fields, but I do feel like there's a chance he could, not that he's going to be a starter, you know, play a thousand snaps next year, but there's certainly a chance he could kind of play his way onto the field this year. Yeah. You have to imagine he's going to get some snaps, especially during uh, preseason, because remember he was out. Uh, He missed most of the off season with, I think multiple injuries. It wasn't just one. He had the foot thing, I believe. Uh, But at any rate, um, yeah, they have to get a good look at him to see what he can do uh, because there was just no, there's no tape <laughs> to watch of him beyond special teams. And uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see it because again, his speed and his tackling ability in college uh, was really good. And we don't know how that's going to translate to the NFL. Cause like I said, he's a smaller guy. He's like 10 pounds lighter than most of the linebackers they have on the roster. Yeah, and kind of, Scott, I actually found your story from, like, right when he was drafted to see what you what you said at the time, and it's like he just wasn't in coverage that often. So it's like, how are the Browns? I think you have right here, he was, it was only 10 snaps his final year in college. So he got, like, a 64.6 grade, but a very, very limited sample size there. So I just yeah. think there are so many questions about, like, what he can do and what was this year like for him? I mean, I think there's, there's an interesting kind of story there potentially if it works out, but um, yeah, I'd be curious to see what he looks like, but obviously they saw something in him to take him. So hopefully, you know, we'll see what that jump looks like and what the development has been like. And again, with coverage, is isn't so much like him lining up with somebody in the slot and running down the field so much. It's, it's like being able to play zone in the NFL as a linebacker. That's, that's not always an easy transition to make. And the Browns do play a lot of zone. Um, So, I mean, they've seen him in practice over the second half of the year and maybe he just wasn't, wasn't there yet. And they, you know, just didn't find the ways to get him on the field because maybe they felt he wasn't ready. 
And that's the important thing to remember with a guy like that is they they've seen him. They know what he is at this point, even though we haven't, they, like you said, Scott, they've seen him over and over in practice going back to, you know, yeah. when he was healthy, going back to the training camp and, and the injury issues he had. And that can really put a guy behind the eight ball when he's dealing with foot injuries and he's not able to get out there and practice. And he's, he's kind of got an uphill climb to begin with. Uh, that, that can really torpedo a rookie season. So, listen, I guarantee you there is no other podcast out there that has spent this much time talking about Tony Fields. So that's why you listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast every that's right. day. <laughs> all right, so there's a look at our linebacker position here. Uh, we're going to keep these going all week. And, of course, Mary Kay Cabot is at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, and she's going to bring us reports every single day. And that is what is going to be coming up right after the break. Scott and Ashley, I will talk to you guys later. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. I'm now joined by Mary Kay Cabot, who of course is in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. It was uh, nice to have a little bit of uh, warmer weather down here in Mobile. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Um, let, let's just start. Let, let's save the draft prospects because I know as we're recording this here, you just put up a post with some stuff that you've heard down there, kind of working some sources and things like that. So what, what can you tell us? What's the latest that you've heard from people that you've spoken with? Well, the first thing uh, that I that I posted there was the fact that uh, I ran into Jack Conklin's agent. Uh, he said Jack is ahead of schedule, that he should be ready for the start of next season. Uh, and I think that's great news for the Browns, because if, if you have uh, Jack Conklin ready to go, uh, it's going to make all the difference in the world in your pass protection. And then you don't have to make sure that you go out and find yourself another starter. Uh, it just kind of changes everything in terms of how you approach the offseason. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, with the question still about Jedrick Wills, which we've talked about on this podcast, and, and not really knowing what you have at right tackle, that would cause some problems. So, you know, having one of the one of your best offensive linemen back, you know, arguably a guy who was your best offensive lineman in 2020, um, along with Joel Batonio, that's certainly good news for the Browns. Yeah, it really is. Two-time All-Pro right tackle, and we saw what happened at the end of last season when, uh, you know, when. Baker Mayfield was sacked nine times in his final game by the Pittsburgh Steelers. A lot of that was because Jack Conklin wasn't there. So great news about Jack Conklin. And uh, now if you can get Jed Wills back up to speed where he needs to be, you'll be in really good shape at your tackle spots. Okay. Let's talk about a couple of quarterbacks real quick too, because you wrote a little bit about Derek Carr. Of course, Josh McDaniels on board now in Las Vegas, along with Dave Ziegler, a couple of Ohio guys uh, there for you. Uh, running the Las Vegas Raiders, and of course Josh McDaniel, we all know his ties to uh, to the area as well. Was a Browns candidate before they hired Kevin Stefanski. As you put it, all options on the table for Derek Carr, and that contract is a big part of it. Whether he gets an extension or whether he plays out uh, that final year on that deal. Yeah, you know what? I mean, this is one to definitely watch for the Browns, for Browns fans, for people in Cleveland, because I think the Browns would be intrigued by Derek Carr in the event he becomes available. And that could possibly happen because he's going to want a contract extension. Now he's going into the final year of his contract, which is about $19 million, a little bit more than uh, Baker Mayfield is supposed to be making next season. So uh, he's somebody to keep an eye on. You know, I, I think that, um, a lot of teams would be interested in him if he comes available. And I don't think he is going to uh, be too happy to stay there without an extension. So they're going to have to decide if he is their long-term answer or if they want to try to go in another direction. And if they do, uh, definitely he's somebody that, uh, that Browns fans should be keeping an eye on. Yeah, I, uh, if they ended up getting a guy like Derek Carr, I, I, that would be 
very exciting. I think he would fit this system really well. I think he could run it really well. I think he brings the Browns a lot of things that they would want in their quarterback um, on the field, you know, as kind of a guy that could represent the franchise, be the face of the franchise. I think he'd bring a lot. But that being said, we don't know his future. One guy, though, who as of today, I guess we can officially say is available. And we, you know, kind of saw it coming, but today his press conference with 49ers reporters, it sounded very much like a farewell. And he said that he and his representatives are going to work with the 49ers people to try and make a deal work, to try and get him someplace where he wants to go, get that compensation back that the 49ers want. It wasn't ruled out that Jimmy Garoppolo could be back in 2022, but again, he didn't make it sound like it was very likely. And at the very end of his press conference, he basically, he basically said goodbye to 49ers media and 49ers fans. So if he comes back, it would be very surprising based on the tone of what he had to say today. Mary Kay, how realistic would Jimmy Garoppolo be in Cleveland? Is he a guy they would have an interest in? You know, that one's hard to say. I don't know if they would 100% view him as a complete upgrade over Baker Mayfield. You know, we're not really sure yet uh, how they feel about Jimmy in terms of would he be somebody that you would want to invest, uh, you know, capital into to acquire him uh, and what you would have to give up for that. So that one is a little bit more difficult. I, you know, I have a pretty good feeling that that Derek Carr is somebody that they might take a look at, but I'm not as certain how they feel about Jimmy Garoppolo at this point. Having said that, they will leave no stone unturned in their quest to have better quarterback play and a better passing game. Uh, so it, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't kick the tires or at least kind of check into it or, or inquire about him, uh, but not 100% certain that they view that as their answer. I feel like he's probably one of the more divisive, if not the most divisive quarterbacks for Browns fans too. I mean, he's obviously been a hot topic throughout these playoffs about how much he actually affects the 49ers winning. You know, look, I'm of the belief that if a quarterback wins a lot of games, he probably had something to do with it. If not everything, he probably deserves some level of credit for that. Um, is he an upgrade over Baker? Probably. I guess the question is how significant and, and what the cost would be. I, I don't know. There's probably a line that the Browns would draw with what they'd be willing to give up for a guy like that, as opposed to maybe a Derek Carr or even a Kirk Cousins. Right. That's the whole key. Um, I, you know, I, I'm just not sure how much they would be willing to give up. Um, so, it, you know, again, it's something to keep an eye on because I think any of these guys that are available and even the, the, the players that are here at the senior bowl, I think they're looking at all of those guys. I mean, look, the, the reality is Baker Mayfield's going into the last year of his contract and he does not have an extension. So even though they believe he's going to start for them next year, they don't know if this is a long-term thing. They have no choice but to kick the tires on every single veteran uh, that possibly becomes available. All right, let's get to it. First day of practices in Mobile, and you got a chance to see some of the quarterbacks who are there. So I'm curious, was there any guy that you kind of came away with and was like, oh, that guy really, I don't know, blew me away is the right word. That's kind of a high bar. But is there a guy that you were like, yeah, I really liked what I saw from that guy? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be writing a little bit about this um, this evening, and we're taping this on Tuesday evening. Um, you know, Malik Willis is somebody that is very intriguing and he is generating a lot of buzz around here. Uh, in talking to people today, 
He's someone that uh, people believe that he's got a lot of upside. Now, he might also, uh, he's the quarterback from Liberty. He might also need a year to really sort of, you know, get a little bit seasoned, get coached up, learn the pro game a little bit, uh, you know, just get coached and work on, you know, work on the arm, work on uh, working within the pocket. But uh, I talked to somebody today and, and they said that Malik Willis reminds them a little bit of a Patrick Mahomes. And, uh, you know, I, I watched him, I watched him practice today. Not, none of the quarterbacks had a day where everybody went, wow, he's the guy he's going to be climbing up the, uh, you know, his stock is going to be climbing immediately or anything like that. Um, but you could see he's got good mobility. He's got a good, strong arm. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot to like about him. And if you look at him as a developmental project, uh, I, you know, I think he's somebody that could be intriguing for the Browns. He could also be there at number 13 uh, or maybe even later, but uh, he's somebody that, that really caught my eye. Now, as far as Kenny Pickett, the best quarterback in the draft, everyone uh, believes that he will be the number one uh, quarterback drafted out of this class. He looked good. He looked smooth. He looked polished. The big concern for him, of course, is his hands, uh, but he's got a lot going for him. And, um, and you know, there, there is a chance that he, he could climb up the board and, and end up as a top five pick. Yeah, so Malik Willis is really interesting, uh, sort of like a Trey Lance situation almost. We were just talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. Could you bring him in and kind of make him essentially what would be your heir apparent to, to Baker Mayfield, whether it's you know halfway through the season, a year from now, whatever it is. There's some real options there with a guy like that. Yeah, it, it's he's definitely somebody to watch. And I've talked to you know three or four uh, people down here. One. Uh, personnel director or one uh, personnel executive uh, that I talked to over the last couple of days. Uh, he is 100% convinced that um, Malik Willis is the franchise quarterback out of this draft. So why, while we will hear more about perhaps Kenny Pickett and, and maybe some of the other ones in this draft, uh, I come awake sort of thinking that Malik Willis is one to watch sort of the new wave of the future dual threat quarterback. Now, uh, Carson Strong uh, from Nevada, talked to him a little bit today too. He's got a very strong arm uh, and, you know, he actually probably has the, you know, the best natural arm uh, out of the bunch here. And then in, in the second practice, uh, I watched a couple of guys, including Sam Howell, uh, and, and he actually makes some comparisons to Baker Mayfield. And he was asked about that in his press conference afterwards. And, uh, you know, he spoke very highly of Baker Mayfield and possibly being compared to him. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, so yeah, there are, there are some guys here, but it's not a great quarterback draft year. Actually next year is supposed to be the deep quarterback draft. Yeah. The problem for the Browns is, they're probably going to be in a position to get some of those guys. <laughs> Obviously, there's going to be a lot of that race for C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and, and those guys. If things go the way the Browns want them to go, uh, they, they won't be in it for those guys. So, again, I guess that brings us back a little bit to Malik Willis and, and like, that upside guy that maybe isn't going to go super high in the draft. I know Doug's really high on him, too. Um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's – are we starting to hone in on him a little bit here, Mary Kay? Are you going to come away when I talk to you on, like, Thursday or Friday? Are you going to be all in on Malik Willis? 
You know, I don't know. I want to watch him again uh, for two practices tomorrow and get, you know, get a better feel for him and talk to a few more people about him. Uh, but just in terms of a developmental player, somebody that, you know, you know, if you knew you didn't have to start him right away, uh, I, I am intrigued. I'm intrigued by what I see. And I, I like the personality. I mean, he's he's got a really dynamic kind of personality. Actually, we're taping this on on. Uh, Tuesday night. Now on Wednesday morning, there's a media breakfast where we have another opportunity to really, you know, sit with these guys and get to know them a little bit. So I'm looking forward to that. And then also watching two more practices tomorrow. All right. Well, like uh, Mary Kay just said, she will be there all week in Mobile for those three practices. Of course, one of them was on Tuesday. Uh, the game is on Saturday. Not going to be there for that. Trust me, the, the game is you know, there's not a lot accomplished when we're watching these guys in the game. It's good entertainment, but uh, all the work gets done Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Of course, Mary Kay will be there doing it, and she will be joining us on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast to break it all down. Uh, Wi-Fi issues, whatever gets in the way, Mary Kay, we're going to figure it out. We're going to have these senior bowl reports every single day on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go, Mary Kay. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks a lot.